Joining me today on the Resourceful HDR podcast is Professor Nick Mansfield, who is Dean, High Degree Research at Macquarie University, and my boss. So, Nick, as someone who has worked in research for many years, how do you think the landscape has changed? Um, I think what's really changed over the course of my career, um, things have changed for researchers. There's now much greater emphasis on uh, quantitative output, I guess, so research funds that you, um, you're awarded and publications, outputs, and there's a greater emphasis on collaboration and networks. Um, for HDR candidates in Australia in particular, there's been a huge emphasis coming from the government in the last 15 years about completion times, um, getting people through PhDs successfully, but doing it in uh, as well a relatively short time compared to other countries. And um, there's also an emphasis on the changes that there are in the jobscape for HDR graduates. So. There's a lot more talk about how um, HDR graduates have to be better prepared for working beyond academia, outside of research, in industry and government, for example. Which is why I have a job, which is quite good. <laughs> um, so as a Dean HDR, you're well placed to see the issues that impact upon HDR candidates and their supervisors. What are the big issues in relation to, a res to research training today? Some of the ones that I've just mentioned, they're more the kind of external pressures that are on HDR candidates. I think the biggest factor at the moment is how that results in increased levels of stress on HDR candidates, how they have to struggle, compete sometimes for resources, and often that they feel uh, in competition with one another. They're very, it's very easy when you're an HDR candidate to be comparative, so if you're peers working in the same lab or people in the same research group or from the same cohort as you seem to be having successes in conferences, publications, grants, getting research work. That puts extra stress on you, often completely unjustifiably because that's no, not necessarily an indicator that you're doing badly. But um, I think the, the, the challenge for us now um, is to help HDR candidates deal with the stress that a lot of the changes I've mentioned have, have brought down on them. And what are your plans to do that, I suppose? Have you got some ideas for the future? Mm. That's a kind of difficult one. I think what we've done is put together the HDR support and development team, and that has a range of things that we're trying to emphasise uh, in terms of giving candidates confidence with their, their, with their writing skills. Um, also giving them at least, um, giving them the workshops and, and helping them develop their resources for, for employment. Uh, a lot of people are reluctant to take up that opportunity because they're either assuming that, that it's not a, going to be an issue for them seeking empl employment outside of academia or else they're kind of burying their heads in the sand and not facing up to that problem. So often th there's, there's only a small proportion of candidates who are prepared to take that issue on, but we are hoping that it gets at least on the agenda of most people so that they can think about what their needs and options are um, in the future. Um, we're also trying to upskill um, supervisors, especially in the area of mental health, not as counsellors, they, they can't um, be professionals in that area, but um, in, in training them in mental health first aid, for example, 
giving them the skills to identify when problems are arising in the well-being of candidates and to direct them to the, to the best kind of facilities and, um, and support services that we can. So there's a range of things we're trying to do. We're, we are also about to embark on a big survey of the well-being of HDR candidates. We really need to get hardcore information about exactly the situation the candidates are in. Um, we deal with a lot of individual cases, a lot of troubleshooting problems that arise, people who get into difficulty. We don't know whether that's the tip of the iceberg or whether it's just a small number of students who are under particular stress. So there's a range of things we're trying to do, but we still have a long, a long way to go. So I've been working with wellbeing and running some workshops there, and one of them is the communication managing upwards, mm -hmm. and then you know Ashwin Singh also runs the um, resilience and motivation. The HDR mentors would be mm -hmm. another group that really helps their mm -hmm. well-being, mm -hmm. and I've witnessed that certainly with Kim's work with that group and the sort of things they run, the potluck and other the, the HDR cafes and the things they run for each other where they share their own expertise. Mm -hmm. So that's really grown over the last couple of years. How do you see that that will evolve? Mm. I actually think that's one of the most important initiatives that we have. Um, it is really useful to give people skills and training and, and, and for them to work with our very well-qualified um, staff to, to work on their academic skills, their professional skills, their employability. But nothing um, can really substitute for that sustaining social environment that the mentors provide, which is a really uh, welcoming, sustaining, uh, place socially, so it provides, especially for a lot of people coming from overseas, it provides them with a more or less immediate social network of people in a similar situation. But it also means that they're going to get all kinds of casual um, information and advice from sources that they can trust that aren't those kind of official top-down sources that they're going to get from university staff. So. Um, so it, and 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 simply um, as we all know, like like if you're suffering stress um, uh, or any number of practical difficulties that you might have with uh, with housing, with the, with offices in the university, with government organisations, your children's school, um, it can be a very isolating and demoralising experience because you kind of feel really vulnerable, really visible, uh, and and really alone and. The mentors can can either uh, give you practical advice, support, networks, and just remind you that a lot of the problems that that individual candidates experience are common, um, you know, across a whole range of the cohort. So that's there's a whole uh, there's a, a really huge number of ways in which the mentors help, but because they they do something that that the um, university staff officially can't do, which is provide that really trustworthy network of peers that will give you encouragement, support, advice, news about their experiences and so on. Mm. Yeah, I think the lived experience is really important because we've witnessed that with things that we run for the students in the workshops and then we'll have um, a PhD candidate run that for their peers and, and it seems to resonate in a completely different way. One of the things Kim and I are hopeful of is to actually take the HDR mentors while they're PhD candidates and as they transition out and then they hopefully will become mm. 
mentors mm. while they're out wherever they are mm. over over the years to the current crop mm. of PhDs. Mm. So that's one of the things we'd really like to do, mm. and I think that would make a difference. I can see that that actually would give us opportunity to, hopefully, if there are others moving out into different sectors, that they could provide opportunities for placements for mm. us. And so that's one thing we've added to the team recently is mm. to have Catherine Ennis join us as the HDI industry engagement and placements manager. I had mm. to remember that one. Um, so I guess we've got some challenges there, but what do you see some of the things that we really have to work through to try and grow that uh, program, I guess? Do you mean the, well, I mean, just picking up both of the, both the things that you've talked about. I mean, I think developing the alumni network is really important. Uh, university alumni uh, are most often talked about as a resource for fundraising. Um, which is a really unfortunate way to focus on them because especially HDR graduates are often going out and working in research intensive areas. They might be working at another university anywhere in the world. They might be working uh, at a, at a, in, in industry in a research capacity or they might um, be st um, have their own startups. They might be working in government. Um, they still remain researchers that never quite leaves you and and th so they're they're always going to be a resource for advice um, for resources for um, and for, for encouraging HDR candidates to think broadly about what their projects can be um, what research can do in the world so I think they, they you know that they remain part of our networking community is, is hugely important and it's hugely important that we don't see them just as some something to exploit as something that we can offer something to, you know, if, if, if we have an alumna, alumna in industry, for example, who needs help with the research problem suddenly, that they think of the university as a place to go to get that kind of support. Um, and the uh, on the industry engagement side, I mean, that's kind of another, Catherine's focus is largely on developing the what's possible as experiences for enrolled HDR candidates at different stages of their candidature, how they can get exposure to industry, internship opportunities, um, and, and work on research projects either as part of their candidature or as a supplement to their candidature. Um, that's also a way of extending candidature, so we think of it as not something that's totally enclosed by the university, but something that's kind of outside the walls and borders of the campus. Um, both of those things, that's what both those things have in common, is the, the idea that HDRs are part of networks that aren't just to do with their supervisors, their academic department, the lab or the library. It's also to do with the whole broad range of, of um, researchers um, who are connected with the university. I guess that leads me to the Ecola report in 2016, which, you know, you and I had the opportunity to put some points forward to that. Um, what were the findings that you've acted upon and what other measures do you think we need to take in Macquarie to ensure that the PhD remains relevant? And also the things you've just talked about is that that changing perspective of PhDs in a whole range of sectors. Mm. The Ecola Review really identified or brought to the fore um, a lot of the issues that people in the sector working in HDR had been talking about for a long time. And that was, so it was really, um, 
really helpful for us because it gave prominence to a lot of our concerns and it also made us feel that we could work together across the sector to get government resources and to get attention in order to deal with issues. But a lot of the things that it focused on are things that we've already been talking about, which were um, firstly the development of transferable skills for HDR candidates to make them more employable and that's motivated us to regularise our program a little bit more and to um, um, present to make sure that the courses that we offered are kind of really robust ways of developing candidates skills. Um, what we're working on now is uh, the best way that we can find to represent those skills. Um, we'd like to find a really clear-cut way that candidates could let employers, potential employers, know the kinds of training and skills that they've got. Because that's often the problem for all graduates, but especially for HDR graduates, that people are not very good at communicating what their skills are. Um, and the skills of HDR graduates are just immense, um, probably at the top level in terms of what they can do in, um, on project work, identifying a problem, answering a question, conducting the research autonomously and communicating it really effectively. No one has those skills at quite the same scale as a PhD graduate, so the skills that they have to offer are really immense and it's important for us to find ways to communicate those to, uh, to the world generally, to the government, to employers um, and, and so on. So we're, we're looking at that. We're also looking at a way of getting candidates to um, assess their own skills so they can put in place a really coherent program of training for themselves that's really relevant to them as individuals. So that's kind of one area that we've been looking at. Um, we've been looking also, and, and Catherine's appointment in the industry engagement space is also follow-up from the Ecola Review, which encouraged universities to look at ways of um, of uh, expanding opportunities for that for HDR candidates. Um, we've been in, in conversation with Wollonga Maru, which is the Indigenous Strategy Unit in the University, to make an appointment in, um, in the Dean's Office of somebody who's focused on both recruitment and support for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, candidates. That's a very strong recommendation from the Ecola Review. Um, and um, and we're also contributing to the gender equity strategy of the university uh, to make sure that any obstacles that are in, in place for women, especially um, uh, those who are, have small children or, or about to have small children, to make sure that their candidature is not any more interrupted than it, than it has to be. So um, what else did Ecola want to... I can't remember all the other recommendations of the call. Suggest so you read yeah. it. <laughs> I've read it many times. No, I meant the audience could have a little read. Um, the other, the other issue was, and this cuts back on some of the questions about um, employability. Um, the one thing the Ecola, that Ecola was really keen on um, getting the government to do was to to get really robust data about what happens to HDR graduates and. Yeah. That's a problem around the world, actually, that um, there's a lot of talk about how PhD graduates are not getting work in academia anymore, um, and, uh, but the data is really non-existent around that, so we don't, know, um, we don't know what happens to HDR graduates over time. Um, we know that a lot of them get work in academia, but we have data that says it's 64%, some says it's 40%, some says it's 3%. 
um, from different jurisdictions around the world, and and it's really unknown. So so we do need governments to to find out exactly what happens to HDR graduates. So um, over time, that was something the Ecola Review really encouraged as well. Yeah, that's something I'd really like to see because yeah. again, that helps us with industry. If we know where they are, yeah. then we're able to approach those people and and what i found in the past is when you do is what you were saying earlier about alumni is they really do want to give back yeah. and they want yeah. to help those people that they recognize you know themselves in yeah. and so that data is really really crucial and even when we're talking about where they are in higher ed we don't know whether they're in professional roles whether yeah. they're on short-term contracts casual yeah. it's it's not even it doesn't go down to that granular level so yeah and see what we actually need is longitudinal data uh, over a long period of time and there have been various attempts to do that it's just very difficult to do um, to, um, there was a recent study from the University of Melbourne there's one that they've been trying to run in New Zealand for a long time all of these become hugely challenging to try and identify candidates, graduates, where they are, and what their career trajectory has been. One of the reasons that a lot of this data is really meaningless is that people are moving in and out of academia or have certain roles in academia, like Sally's saying, um, that might be classic teaching and research academics, but it, it's still relevant, they're still benefiting from the, what, the, what they learn in their PhD. So. And I, I want to ask you this question because I've heard it from different people the statement that is said that sometimes there are too many PhD graduates what are your thoughts on that one well um, yeah that, <laughs> that's an issue that's been tossed around in the sector for the last five to ten years um, are we training too many PhD graduates well my view on that straight up is that that you can't um, PhD graduates just have an immense um, set of skills and knowledge to contribute to the world and as I tell incoming PhD students all the time um, there's almost nothing that happens in society that's not impacted by university level research whether politicians are prepared to admit it or not almost every government initiative social change educational program medical um, initiative almost everything that happens at any note is at least if it's if it doesn't come from university level research it um, um, it's impacted by university level research and so and half of that research is done by PhD graduates so the skills that that PhD um, graduates have to offer to the world are, um, are absolutely incredible I think and um, and something that we're, we're constantly underestimating and I've actually forgotten what your question well, was. Well it was really started. yeah whether there were too many and obviously yeah, there are too many PhD graduates so actually having more people with those skills and more people doing that work being sent out into the world um, that's just an immense resource um, globally and and if I talk to people from you know from North America from China from from Austria Russia people around the world who work in the HDR administration space they all what gets them up in the morning is just that passion for contributing to the to that huge kind of energy of, res of research that that PhD graduates are part of. So no, it's absolutely impossible. I think there should be many more actually, and that that'll be better for the society. And the more they're spread across industry and government, the more they get into politics, um, the more they get into schools, the better. And for me, I think that really fits with reports I've seen on future of work. There's many out there, mm. and they point to all these skills that I've seen are, you know, their PhD skills. So mm. the exactly. you know the rise of data and and 
you know, the digital space, apart from anything else, but certainly the problem solving's massive, critical thinking's massive. They're mm. very, you know, sought after skills. So therefore, yeah, exactly, we need more of that. So I guess the other question, the one I'll finish on, is what advice would you give to current master's research and PhD candidates? I think um, the first thing for masters of research candidates, and, and one of the reasons that we, inst I mean, there are many reasons that we put in place that degree, but, but one of them was that we knew that um, a lot of people started um, research programs without fully understanding what they were and without fully understanding whether it was the right thing for them. And so I think it's, it's really important for MRES candidates to think, um, is research suitable for them um, and uh, for, a, for a really high proportion of them it, it will be and um, and um, so yeah I mean I think that's that's really important consideration. Um, for PhD graduates I think um, don't underestimate yourself um, and don't undersell yourself is probably the most important message to get. Uh, when you're doing PhD level research, you're really competing with the best people in your field in the world. You're going to conferences giving papers where the professors from around the world who are the leaders in your area could be giving papers, sometimes keynotes, but sometimes in the same session as you, they might be asking you questions. You're starting to work at that level. Um, there's almost no other area of employment um, in the world which requires you to compete at that global level. and um, so the skills that you have, um, you always might feel that your project, um, the whole field of research is so huge and dynamic and ever-changing and there's so much happening that it overwhelms you and intimidates you. You're doing a PhD because you're equipped to deal with that environment. It is huge. It is uh, there's a lot of incredible things going on, a lot of things that are difficult to understand, that are incredibly challenging, but that's where you are and that's the university has enrolled you in the degree because we believe that's what you're equipped to do it's very easy to kind of feel overawed but you do have that intelligence and skill to participate in in that world and so um so i'd always say don't underestimate what you've achieved and what you're uh, the quality of what you're doing um and 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 more important than anything else, don't lose the passion. Don't forget that the reason that you got into research in the first place was, sure, you wanted to be an academic or you wanted to have a research career. The reasons you wanted those things is you had a passion for your subject, and that's the thing that'll keep you excited and motivated, um, not only through your career but but outside of your career and beyond. So. Um, yeah, don't forget, the, don't lose the passion, don't lose the sense of challenge and excitement and, and the, the pleasure that research can bring you. Well, thank you, Nick.